Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. It is a Supreme Court of the United States edition. We are going to break down the decision of the Alston versus NCA case. With two of the top experts in sports law, I'd like to think I'm in their class too. So we'll have quite a triumvirate of the top sports law analysts in the country right here on the Business of Sports podcast, breaking down what happened in the Supreme Court on Monday, June 21st, in the major decision of Alston versus NCA. First, a word from our sponsor, DraftKings. Just because the final buzzer sounded doesn't mean the fun has to end. DraftKings Casino has hundreds of casino games to play. Slots, table games, has you covered. And right now, all players can enter DraftKings Casino Summer Legends Series. Shot at a share of $5 million in total prizes. Entering the Legends Series is easy. You just download the DraftKings Casino app right now. Find the casino games in the top navigation bar and just start playing. Casino is offering prizes ranging from a new luxury car, a free ride, and a private jet. Your money is safe, secure, reliable. You can deposit and withdraw it at your own earliest convenience. So download the DraftKings Casino app now. Use promo code ROSS, R-O-S-S. Get a shot at share of $5 million in total prizes when earning DraftKings Casino Legends Series. That's promo code ROSS to earn a shot at the share of $5 million in total prizes only at DraftKings Casino. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, West Virginia, Michigan, or Pennsylvania. Only restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Michigan, 800-270-7117. Major news in sports law this week. A big decision in the Supreme Court, Alston versus NCA. Rights of college student athletes were increased this week. We're going to talk about it. Michael McCann of Sportico and the University of New Hampshire Law, one of the great voices on sports law. He's going to be here with me, as well as Gabe Feldman, one of the pioneers of sports law education himself at Tulane, runs the sports law program there, and has the podcast Between the Lines, all about sports law issues. Both of them are here. So without further ado, let's get to our pod with Gabe Feldman and Mike McCann. All right, I gathered the all-star team. We have a Supreme Court decision. Us sports law nerds are giddy because we only get a decision on the Supreme Court involving sports once in a blue moon. Last time was three years ago, the sports betting case. And here we are with a student-athlete rights case. I want to get right to it with Mike McCann and Gabe Feldman, my special guests, who I always go to for the top issues in sports law. Let's go right to it. Uh, I'll start with you, Mike. Your immediate reaction to the decision the 9-0 unanimous decision makes it sound like, yes, this is a major decision. Um, I guess I want to ask it this way. Did we all, including me, get over our skis on this decision as this major inflection point for college sports when it's really a narrow decision? Let's start right there. Well, I, I would say it is a narrow decision in terms of the immediate impact of the opinion. But I think it could be a profound decision at the same time in terms of what it could mean going forward in terms of antitrust scrutiny of NCAA rules and opening the door to other challenges. And then there's also the sort of undefined answer about education-related expenses, what exactly that entails. Uh, will the NCAA seek clarification from the district court? So I, I do think it's significant. It also repudiates the Board of Regents case, at least with regard to college athletes. I mean, not maybe broadly in other contexts, but we know that the Supreme, that the NCAA has 
consistently invoke that case, they won't be doing so now. Now they're going to have the Alston decision. So I do think it's significant. I also think Justice Kavanaugh's concurring opinion, although is in precedent, it, it does send a message that there are real concerns about amateurism as a concept. Justice Gorsuch noted that the NCAA hasn't kept amateurism straight, that it's got, it's changed over the years, and that ended up hurting the NCAA. So I think there's a lot there for future cases and maybe interpretation of, of this case. Yeah, Gabe, I think, you know, for people who don't know, the education-related benefits that really the judge justices dealt with in this case you know, I heard you talk about, I think it's a little bit unclear what we're really talking about. You know, musical instruments, study abroad, internships, computers, tutor, tu- tutors. Is that how you see it? And if we focus on what this case actually did, can universities right now just offer that stuff without restriction? Yeah, so I agree with everything Mike just said. And I do think it's about much more than the terms of the injunction, which, as you mentioned, would be these two different times, two different types of education-related benefits. One are the in-kind, so it would be the musical instruments, the science equipment, the laptops, the internships, the scholarships. The other would be the cash benefits that would be for academic achievement, and that's still a little fuzzy exactly what that means. And the court said you can limit that, but you can't limit it below the limit of what the awards the athletes are currently getting for athletic participation, which I think most people thought that would get reversed. It was just an unusual sort of judicial price fixing that Judge Wilkins seems to like to do, which he did in O'Bannon, and that got reversed. But this was not only was this a win for college athletes, this was a huge win for Judge Wilkins. I mean, the Supreme Court just said everything you did was perfect, and we have no problems with anything you did. But, but I would say just in terms of the the bigger picture, because I, I do think starting tomorrow, not only can the schools give these benefits, they're, they're really required to, or at least they're required not to agree association-wide to restrict them. Uh, one important part of the opinion is that the conferences can agree to restrict them. But when the association, the NCAA as a whole does it, that's when it raises antitrust issues. But keep in mind why, why this is, I think, such a groundbreaking landmark decision, even though the remedy is really narrow, is that up until six years ago, no federal court had ever held that an NCAA amateurism rule was illegal under antitrust law. We now have Judge Wilkin do it twice and O'Bannon Alston, and now the Supreme Court has done it. And the NCAA went in hoping that they would get essentially immunity under antitrust law. Right? They said it wasn't really immunity. They wanted deferential review, but they really wanted to be able to say every time they go into court, what we do with respect to athletes is pretty much legal on its face. We don't have to go through an antitrust analysis. And the Supreme Court did the opposite. They said to the extent that you thought the Supreme Court had given you that freedom and that protection in the past, we have not. You were just like any other industry, and you have to face antitrust attack for every one of these agreements. And so... And then you add on Kavanaugh's concurrence. So this was not only 9-0, this was 9-0 with a hammer. Um, so so it's, not, it, it's not the worst case that could have possibly happened starting three or four years ago, but it's about worst case given what the court was presented with because they ruled narrowly as they tend to do, and then they had one of the most conservative justices on the court 
say that if we had an opportunity to do a broader ruling, right. I would rule against you. And in the next case, I'll rule against you. You know, we don't know what the other eight justices would do, but if Kavanaugh is going to rule against the NCAA, pretty good indication where the others were probably leaning. Yeah, I want to spend time on the Kavanaugh opinion in a minute. I, just for clarification for our listeners that don't know Judge Wilkin, that's the Ninth Circuit. So the Ninth Circuit is the case up for the Supreme Court, and they affirmed everything she did, as Gabe said. Question, Mike, is and when we talk about this case, is the NCA? You know, I guess here's what I want to say. Mark Emmert, of course, framed this as, if not a win, as we're good. You know, a statement came out from the NCA is, yeah, education-related benefits, everything's got to be tied to education. We're working on NIL. They don't seem phased by this. Surprised? I don't, I, I don't agree that the statement that they released is indicative of how they feel. I, I think they're feeling a lot of pressure uh, I, I think NIL has turned out to be a disaster for the NCAA in terms of hoping that Congress would intervene, finding out that Congress is not going to intervene. Though the O'Bannon case was filed 12 years ago. It isn't as if this topic is new. They've had a lot of time to figure these issues out, not only name, image, and likeness, but the issues raised in Alston. And now they've had a Supreme Court ruling, as Gabe explained, saying, their central thesis is repudiated. I mean, that, that's a pretty profound loss. Uh, and, and coupling with the, the uncertainty about name, image, and likeness, where states have essentially taken over for the NCAA in a way that may, I, I, I'm surprised they didn't anticipate, they should have anticipated. So their, their press release is fine, and what they said is fine. I mean, it's, it's accurate, but I feel like it's sort of missing missing the, the big picture. And the big picture is they lost. They, we, we don't know how extensive education-related benefits is. And uh, as Gabe noted, Justice Kavanaugh just created a playbook for future challenges where at least one justice, one justice who is, who is clearly a sports fan, and I've got to think, and again, I'm speculating, I would think he played a pretty instrumental role in discussions about this case. And for him to be there for the NCAA has to be a worry. Gabe, we talk about the opinion. We'll get to it now. I mean, obviously, we're not talking when we talk about the scathing and scorching and savage opinion from Justice Kavanaugh here. Let's be clear. It is not the majority opinion. So give us a little bit of procedure here. So Justice Gorsuch writes the majority opinion. And by the way, we don't like to read tea leaves, all of us, right? But these tea leaves were out there in that March 31st hearing. I mean, it was Kavanaugh and Gorsuch that seemed to be the most strident with the NCA, and here we are. Uh, so what happens, Kavanaugh says, uh, I don't even know this, maybe you guys do, I want to write an opinion too? And do the other eight say cool? Or how does that work? Yeah, I think that's the, the process. I think there's a form where you get to check cool, not cool. And <laughs> the clerks all checked cool. No, I, I mean, I think it's they they assign the opinion. So who's going to write the opinion? And Justice Gorsuch was assigned the opinion. Um, all the other justices have a chance to read it and decide if they want to sign on to the opinion. All nine justices signed on to the opinion. So it was the unanimous opinion. And then other justices are given the opportunity um, either to concur, so you can concur 
in with the outcome. So you agree with the outcome, but then write your own opinion, or you can dissent. In this case, there were no dissents. All nine signed on. Um, none of the other eight justices signed on to Kavanaugh's opinion. So it's his own concurring opinion. There could have been other justices that joined him. Uh, and I, I think, you know, if you look at it, again, this is reading, trying to read tea leaves and go behind the justices' chambers, which is very difficult to do. But they obviously all agreed that these restrictions were illegal. The education, the, the restrictions on education-related benefits were illegal for the same reason the Ninth Circuit found them illegal, the same reason that the District Court Judge Wilkin found them illegal. Um, but the Supreme Court, they stopped there. And, th and that's typically what they do. They're, they're not in a position, they don't want to be in the position to rule on more than the question that they're presented. They, they don't want to rule on hypothetical issues. They don't want to make broad pronouncements. Sometimes they do. But in this case, they decided we're going to be as narrow as possible. We're only going to address the issue that was presented to us, which was only the appeal by the NCAA. And Justice Gorsuch even noted, if the, ironically, if the plaintiffs, if Jeff Kessler's team had appealed, they would have had the broader issue in front of them of whether the NCAA was allowed to continue to restrict these payments unrelated to education. But they didn't have that issue. But Justice Kavanaugh clearly wanted to send a message yeah. that even though his opinion is not binding, it's not the law, um, but it is persuasive. And lower courts often cite even dissenting opinions as support. So even though it's not the law of the land, he is one of the nine most important judges in the country. And now a court has the opportunity when in the past they were really bound either by the, the Board of Regents precedent or really by what other circuits had done or what their own circuits had done. Now they can look at Alston and I think they have the ability, any court, to look at almost any athlete restriction and declare it illegal based on the the main opinion and also Kavanaugh's. On the flip side, though, and this is where I think the NCAA statement, as Mike said, is accurate, they can also say, look, the Supreme Court, all they did was yeah, reaffirm this line. Education benefits, non-education related benefits, and the education ones, they can't be restricted. The non-education ones, Supreme Court didn't rule on it, so the, the law is still the law as it was before Alston, and great opinion by Kavanaugh, but Again, we're not bound by that. So it's possible the next case still gets decided in favor of the NCAA. So Kavanaugh has this scathing opinion. It almost seemed like a telegraph to Jeffrey Kessler, like, bring me a bigger case. Like, did you see that? I mean, it's like, bring me a case that really deals with what your real issue you want, which is pay for play and taking all the restrictions off, which begs the question to me. And again, we're going back to procedure here. Why is this the only thing in this case, Mike? Why didn't Kessler do what he's advertised doing for years, which is come before a court and say, take it all off, let them all be free agents? Yeah, I, I think the risk, I mean, in hindsight, it's definitely fair to ask that question. And Justice Sotomayor asked him that question during the oral argument, saying, hearing, you yeah. want to clarify that you're only asking for education-related expenses? And he said, yes, that the district court and the Ninth Circuit had already resolved the other expenses and I'm not contesting that. Uh, as Gabe noted, had had he appealed rather than the NCAA or in addition to the NCAA, there could have been a broader review. But I, I guess to, to defend Kessler, there was a risk in going bigger, yeah. right? That the court, uh, you know, we only know that Kavanaugh would have ruled in favor of a broader remedy. M maybe, maybe Kessler loses if it was 
the broader remedy. So we might be having a very different conversation. And so, I mean, there's a gamble there and he, he didn't take the gamble. It may have been the smart move because now he just won 9-0. So, it, you know, I got to think this is, he's got to be happy with the outcome, but it is fair to ask why he didn't seek more. But I, but I think there's a, there's a good reasoning why he didn't. Yeah, so, I agree completely. Yeah. I just one thing to add that keep in mind, although it was 9-0 and it's easy now to say, well, it was obvious that they were going to win uh, during the oral argument. Most of the justices said, wait a minute, we're worried that if we do fully apply antitrust law, this could destroy college sports. So I, I completely agree with Mike. I think this was a safer route, particularly with a conservative court, to say, let's just fight the, the battle we can win. And it's sort of the how do you eat an elephant? You know, this, is, this was their one bite at a time of the elephant, and then they'll live to fight another lawsuit. And there already are at least two other lawsuits still pending, including actually a third that Kessler filed at the same time as Alston. And I would imagine there are plaintiff's lawyers who are drafting complaints as we speak. Um, so I do think that sort of incremental approach makes sense. It, it was a more conservative, conservative approach, but it's hard to fault uh, Jeff Kessler when the athletes had had very little success historically in the courts, and then they get a 9-0 win. Yeah. But let's let's take this out. You say there are other suits, and, and Kavanaugh, as I said, is kind of telegraphing, bring it on. How realistic is it? And and you know the pace of courts. So are we dealing with education-related related benefits and gains for student-athletes only for, pick a number, two years, three years, four years, five years, before the Supreme Court hears what Kavanaugh is hoping to hear? And assuming that, where are we now? Again, let's put NIL aside for, for the moment. Where are we with student athlete restrictions if all we have is this narrow ruling until whenever? So I, I, I'd say that it could happen much more quickly than that, because all it takes is the district court ruling to say, based on what the Supreme Court just said to Alston, I'm going to grant an injunction that prevents the NCAA from enforcing the particular athlete restrictions that are challenged, which it could be NIL, it could be pay for play, it could be any number of things. So, and then maybe it ends up back in the Supreme Court, but it may not. We don't need the Supreme Court to, to rule again. We could be fighting for the next 40 years about what Austin right. means, like we've been fighting about what Board of Regents means. And I think, frankly, what's more likely to happen than the Supreme Court ruling again on this is that Congress acts. They're clearly not going to act in time to preempt state laws before July 1st. But I do think it's likely they'll act either by the end of the year or early next year and try to tie all this together and say, look, let's give college athletes better health protection, lifetime scholarships or, or, or greater scholarship protection. Let's give them NIL rights, but let's preempt state laws and let's try to make college athletics make more sense economically and rein in some of the costs but not only on the athletes. If we're going to cost contain, let's cost contain overall. And let's not th let the NCAA say there's no money, there's no money, while they're building multi-million dollar facilities. So I think this is an opportunity, which really Gorsuch and Kavanaugh invited, that if you, NCAA, think you're entitled to special treatment because you are special, go to Congress. Go to Congress. And they're the ones who can help you. And they're, they've been in Congress for the last two years trying to get that special protection from them. So in a way, that could be the sort of silver lining here, the NCAA to say, look, Congress, we've been telling you that if you don't give us antitrust protection, we're going to get sued into oblivion. 
And look what's happening. The Supreme Court just opened the door for every antitrust lawyer to bring a suit against us. If you don't protect us now, we're we're going to go away. And as unpopular as the NCAA is, even more unpopular than Congress, I do think many members of Congress still love college sports and don't want to see their college football team or their college basketball team destroyed. Not that I think it would destroy it, but I think plenty of people in Congress, particularly the Republicans, have shown that they still have that nostalgia and that reverence for college sports. So, so it, it may be that Congress is ultimately their best bet. But you talk about that nostalgia for college sports. We also see politically it's very popular to support college athletes right now. The NI bill, NIL bills in Congress, as you guys know, are across the board. We've got a Belkin bill. We've got a Rubio bill. We've got uh, Anthony Gonzalez bill, all these competing bills. So while we have the state laws going into effect next week and we don't know what the NCAA is going to do, we still have this mash of bills in Congress. Mike, where do you think that goes and could these NIL bills be, we keep talking about narrow versus broad, maybe one of those, like the Booker bill that involves a lot of health and safety, what, what do you forecast or handicap in Congress and when? Yeah, I, I'm more skeptical than Gabe of Congress intervening. Uh, I, I, I Just the sense I get is that there's a pretty healthy divide between those that seek narrow changes and those that want the broader instrumental reforms that Senator Booker, Senator Murphy, and some others have proposed. I don't see a middle ground at this point. Maybe that will change. But Gabe noted that once there's more litigation, once there's disruption, the circumstances on the ground could change and that could lead Congress to act. But they had a chance here to act and they didn't. And the first name, image, and likeness federal bill was in March of 2019. And none got past committee. None had a hearing. None had a vote. So the, the track record is is discouraging for reform. And I also think there, there's reason to think that some of the proposals are maybe geared towards getting media attention that are not necessarily proposed in a way that, that the person thinks that they're likely to pass, especially in a Congress that's so evenly divided, uh, where the two parties seem like they're in a pretty hostile position. So uh, I, I'd like to think Congress can act. I, I would think that's the best solution, to be perfectly honest, for the reasons Gabe noted. But I, I don't know, you know, summer recess is coming, then we get to September, then who knows what will be happening in the country with issues. This issue could get is important to us, maybe not as important to others. So, yeah, I don't know. You mean everybody's, yeah. not, everybody's not talking about sports law all the time? <laughs> well, that's, what, that's what's crazy is, and, and you guys know this as well as anyone, even during the height of the pandemic, Congress was still holding hearings on name, image, and likeness. States were rushing to get laws passed on name, image, and likeness. And it it is, whether it's to grab headlines or because they want to meet the athletes or the athletic directors, or they want to be the ones who say they saved college sports. I I just, it still feels like to me, and, and, and Mike could very well be right, and it wouldn't surprise me if if Congress doesn't act, I think it's always safer to bet that Congress won't get something done than they will get something done. Um, but given that there is bipartisan support for greater athlete rights, which is a, just a massive change from where we were 10 years ago, the fact that Republicans and Democrats want to give college athletes more rights, the question then has become what else do they get beyond NIL? Because I think everybody agrees they should get NIL. 
It's now how much additional health care should they get? Whatever, what else should they get around it? And what type of antitrust exemption, if any, should they be given? So I, I could see the NCAA going back into Congress and saying, tell us what you want from us. We'll give it to you. Just give us the antitrust exemption, right? We'll give you the health care. We'll give you X, Y, and Z. We just need antitrust protection. You can, you can appoint a federal commission that will oversee a lot of what we do. Um, then you know, the flip side to that is when we talk about the NCAA, there is no single NCAA. And I think we've seen that play out in the last few months, we saw it play out during COVID, that the athletic directors can't agree with each other, the conferences can't agree with each other, the lawyers can't agree with each other. And so it's hard for them to make progress when they can't agree on what they wanna ask from Congress. Um, so maybe I've just talked myself out of there being congressional intervention, but, but, but I do think if they don't get it from Congress, then they're, they're just, unless something strange happens, they're going to go down the road where they lose a number of antitrust cases and they'll have no recourse, they'll have no protection. We'll get back to our interesting conversation with Gabe and Mike in a minute. First, a word from LinkedIn Talent Solutions. You know, today, small business owners are busier than ever because they're focused on managing and growing their business. They can't always spend the time they wish on the important process of recruiting candidates. That's why we need LinkedIn Jobs. It just makes it a lot easier to find and hire the best candidates. And it's for free. So get started by posting your job for free to reach LinkedIn's network of 740 million professionals. You can fill out a targeted screening questions, get your role in front of the most qualified candidates with the experience, skills, motivation that you need to find the right person. Use these simple tools. They have filter tools that prioritize the top candidates you'd like to interview. LinkedIn Jobs will help you hire the right person for your role. And your first job post is absolutely free. Just visit LinkedIn.com com slash BOS. Again, that's linkedin.com slash BOS. That's for business of sports, of course. You post your first job listing for free. Terms and conditions apply. Now back to our conversation on the Supreme Court case involving college athletes with Gabe Feldman and Mike McCann. Let's talk big picture with the NCAA and college sports in general. I, we're all at institutions. Uh, and the one I work at, Villanova, I had talked to you guys about before, 24 sports, one, one that's happened to one, two of the last five NCAA basketball championships makes money. So I know Jeffrey Kessler fights back against this, and I understand it. But if there is an arms race further in college basketball and football, how can it not affect the majority of college sports, that some of which are on lifelines already uh, without NIL, without additional expenses for the top top sports. Are we seeing this the same way? Is, is college sports going to continue where it's a two-tier system and 95% of the athletes don't get benefits, uh, you know, that the top ones do? Where do you see it going? I'm just asking sort of generally. I think it's been that way for a long time. So I don't know if anything that's happening now is going to change that basic construct. I think that we have seen it play out in big schools where the revenue generating sports are in a different class, even, even with title nine restrictions, even with other university policies, it's difficult to get around that. I don't know if name image, name image and likeness might actually help in terms of creating opportunities for athletes that, uh, you know, maybe they may not make a lot of money, but maybe they can make some money sponsoring a camp back home 
or, or things along those lines. It may actually uh, may not be more equitable, but it may be better overall. In terms of the Alston ruling, I think we have to wait to see how uh, it was. It was a it was a class brought by basketball players and football players. I presume that other athletes will benefit from it if the NCAA wants to have rules that apply equally to all to all sports. So uh, I would think they would also have a chance to benefit. But but Andrew, I don't. I feel like what you're describing is is a problem that's last that's been in place for a while. And I don't know how it gets fixed in any kind of meaningful way other than maybe name, image, and likeness helping. And then we talk about the disparity with name, image, likeness. I mean, the SEC schools have most of it covered with these six states, right? But you know it's going to be a recruiting tool. It already is. And so even though it's not meant to be a recruiting tool, if Florida can offer these players NIL and pick a state that can't, then we lose. We come into more inequity, Right. So we'll continue as we go. Uh, And again, I I agree with Mike. I'm not saying this is new. This has been happening a long time. But the water slides at Clemson and the Norma Tech boots at every locker and the lounges, you know, the arms race continues. And it seems like. It's getting bigger. I mean, mean, you know what Jeffrey Kessler is going to say is. It's it's money going around the athlete, right? That that's this just proves yeah. the point that the athlete you can't pay the athlete, so you pay everything around the athlete. And I mean that's been true, I, I would say for for some time. Yeah, I, I won't pick on Villanova and Jay Ray. I'll pick on my my alma mater. When when they say where could we possibly find the money to support the Duke track team if we pay college athletes? a couple extra hundred thousand dollars, a couple million dollars. And then I look at coach K's $10 million a year salary and his private office with a fingerprint entrance uh, overlooking the entire campus and the multi-million dollar facilities. I have an idea of where you might find a little bit of money um, to pay the college athletes. They don't have to though, right? They, it's just, it's the classic gold plating. Um, and and I, again, name image and likeness, at least as it's currently contemplated, it wouldn't come directly from the schools. Now, it may mean it's money that doesn't go to the schools because they're spending it on the athletes instead of the schools. But I think that would be a pretty small um, drop in the bucket. I don't think that's going to impact athletic department revenues. And if it does, again, that's a good thing. I'm in favor of college athletes getting more of that benefit than the administrators and the coaches and, uh, and, and the facilities. And then just the last point, I think come July 1, if not June 30th, I think every athlete in every state, will have the right to make money from name, image, and likeness. I just can't see the NCAA only allowing the athletes in states that have passed laws to do it. Yeah. And they were supposed to vote on it today. They were supposed to vote on it two months ago, supposed to vote on it six months ago. It sounds like they're going to vote on it next week instead. And I don't think it's a matter of, of if, it's just a matter of how and what rights they're given. Are they all given the same rights? There might be some benefit to being in Florida or California or New Mexico over others, but my sense is they'll all have the right to do it. Because if they, if they don't, they'll just get sued again. And I just don't think I'd want to be the NCAA getting brought back into federal court right after they just lost in front of the Supreme Court. Yeah, I just – I just go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. Uh, oh, sorry. I, mean, I, was say, I, I think the landscape has changed for the NCAA after Austin to, to sort of put up a fight with NIL uh, seems not like the wisest strategy. All right. And I and I tweeted out last week. I made some videos for our student athletes at Villanova, and there's no statute in Pennsylvania. It's just the feeling, like you said, Gabe, that 
something's going to happen on July 1 per the NCA, uh, even though there aren't bills in all these other states. All right, let's bring this in for a landing. So now we get past the excitement, <laughs> I guess, us sports law nerds had this week um, and the Kavanaugh opinion and the savaging of the NCA. And where are we? <laughs> We've got NIL coming. We've got this decision. Uh, it seems like the NCA is on the ropes a little bit. But big picture, just as we as we wrap up here, I want to give each of you kind of a canvas like, where are we with NCA and the uh, the rights of college student athletes as we sit here tonight? I would say that the rights have expanded for college yeah. athletes. And maybe that's, to me, the, the most significant thing that with NIL coming in some form or another, coupled with the Austin ruling, granted, we have to figure out exactly what it means. And that may take some time, but it clearly means added financial benefits that don't currently exist and that the NCAA will be restrained from trying to curb, I think that will help college athletes. Uh, in terms of the sort of more disruptive questions about other litigation, we'll have to wait and see. I think, uh, as Gabe noted, there there's plenty of opportunities for new litigation. And, you know, litigation is not a bad thing. It can be healthy, right? It can, it can cure deficiencies, that an organization isn't willing to do on its own. So maybe this is the right outcome to test NCAA rules in a way that they haven't been tested and to subject them to ordinary antitrust scrutiny so that Board of Regents is not, you know, the, the sort of panacea to every potential issue. Uh, I'll just stop there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, before I get to give that point about litigation is so true. I mean, you know my saying there will be lawyers, but... <laughs> The NCAA is reacting to litigation. The NFL reacts to litigation. The NBA has reacted to litigation. We've covered this for two decades now. And it's we can lament it, but that's how that's how we get these governing bodies, these big bodies to react. Gabe. Yeah, and I, I can't wait till the first college athlete starts selling their picture on a t shirt with there will be lawyers. I got to talk to someone about a trademark. You got to sue Andrew, get an injunction. There's the next big lawsuit. Uh, So I I agree with everything Mike said. And I I do think, again, back to your original question, Andrew, when we started this, why I think this is so significant is we're now at a moment in time where there is, I wouldn't say universal agreement, but there is more agreement than we've ever had before that college athletes are entitled to more rights than they have been getting and that this is long overdue. And there's certainly a racial component to it, particularly with FBS football and division one basketball, where they are predominantly black, particularly compared to the rest of the student population. And it's going to start small with these education related benefits. Uh, It will get bigger with name, image and likeness in a couple of weeks. It might get even bigger than that. But where I think was so notable about the Supreme court's opinion in Alston is that the NCAA made an argument that they've been making for decades, that all professional sports leagues have been making for decades, that sports are different, they're special, they're unique, and they need to be treated differently under the law, and that they are allowed to do things that no other industry can do, including restricting the compensation that their labor is paid. And the Supreme Court said, no, you're not. You're not entitled to anything special. The, the, this would be illegal in any other industry, and it probably 
they didn't have to rule on it here. It's probably illegal here that you don't get to define your product by the restraints of compensation on the athletes. That that doesn't make sense. And it's not fair to make billions of dollars off of the athletes while their compensation levels are restricted. And again, the fact that that came from Justice Kavanaugh is remarkable that, that we have a conservative justice saying college athletes and particularly black athletes are entitled to more economic rights. Um, so I don't know where it ends up, but it, it is a wonderful place that we're in right now that athletes will be celebrating more rights than they had 10, 15 years ago. And you know, I think we all agree with this. I know Mike knows him really well and has written a book with him, but let's not forget Ed O'Bannon's role in all of this. I'm not sure we're here today if it's not for Ed O'Bannon. No, uh, it took, took a lot beyond Ed O'Bannon, but without him filing that first lawsuit and fighting it all the way through, uh, I'm not sure we're, we're anywhere close to the position we're in today. I don't think we can understate that. I mean, I'm sorry, overstate it. I, I totally agree. And, you know, it's not uh, the Kirk floods of the world. O'Bannon's in that class, you know, sports law pioneer that sort of created this avenue that we're talking about today. So this week, NIL and, of course, Austin, as Mike mentioned, a real inflection point for rights of college student athletes. This has been great. You know, our all-star team is back again. Repeat performances. You guys are uh, are going to get a free punch card being on the podcast so much. <laughs> get your free drink as you go out. Uh, Mike McCann, Sportico, University of New Hampshire Law, and, of course, Gabe at Tulane. Thanks for being with me again. We always enjoyed. Thanks for staying up with us and doing this pod. Thank Thanks, you. Andrew. Fascinating conversation about, you know, not many sports law cases reach the Supreme Court. And when it happens, I want to get the best people on. And hopefully I'm one of those people, too. Mike McCann from University of New Hampshire and Gabe Feldman from Tulane. Great commentary, great insights into what happened this week and what will happen next with the Austin versus NCAA case being decided in a unanimous opinion by the Supreme Court this week. That'll do it for this week's edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Thanks to my producer, Brian Neal. My musical producer, the one and only Sam Brandt, from where I come to you right now, visiting him in L.A. this week. Hope you follow me on Twitter at Andrew Brandt, at Instagram at Andrew Brandt 2, and of course my Sunday 7 newsletter. Sign up at andrew-brandt.com. Love to have you every Sunday morning seeing some new insights that I bring out every week. Apple Podcasts rankings and comments are always appreciated, and I'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.